0: Uh, Real quick, there's no sales pitch today. It's purely uh, our agenda to share uh, essential knowledge and insight and maybe bring a little fun to to, uh, a dry topic here. So um, let me do some introductions and then we'll get started. First, we have Amira Amand. Uh, She is the Vice Chair of C3PAO Stakeholder Forum and President of uh, Cary Solutions. Welcome, Amira. We have Inno uh, Baraha. He is the founder and CEO of Net Security Corporation, established back in 2004. Uh, he is uh, a first on this panel in this series. Welcome, Eno. Thank you. Uh, also, we have Eric Lunsford. He's an independent consultant in cybersecurity uh, out of Arlington, Virginia, and he has been on previous panels. Welcome again, Eric. Thank you, Dave. And also, Kyle uh, Lai, president and CISO and head of services of KLC Consulting, who has also been uh, participating as a, as a panelist in previous uh, webinars. We appreciate you joining us again, Kyle. All right, also uh, joining us today from, from Stealth that will be in the background. We have Dasha Deckworth, president and founder of Stealth ISS Group. Welcome, Dasha. We also have Robert Davies, CEO at Stealth ISS Group. Uh, We have Mike Pedrick, Vice President of Consulting, and myself, David Jones, Vice President of Global Sales. All right, well, let's get started. I'm going to bring up uh, some PowerPoints really quick and for the panelists, and we'll begin asking questions. Um, Give me one second to share here. All right. So, introduction CMMC standards is a new compliance standard that the DOD is in, initiating over the next uh, four and a half years um, and moving from NIST 800-171. Um, to do a, a quick uh, review of what the differences are for those that may not know, um, that are just getting into understanding this. Um, NIST 800-171 had about 110 controls in 14 families. CMMC level three has 130 across 17 domains. A method of compliancy uh, with NIST 800-171 could be achieved on your own or with help with an outside company. Um, With CMMC, you must pass assessment performed by an outside company, C3PAO, who will submit the assessment report to the CMMC AB uh, accreditation body for approval. So you have to be certified. Um, there are no levels within NIST 800-171. Uh, there's up to five levels within uh, CMMC. And then proof of compliance, um, you, you submit your security system security plan and plan of action with milestones to the DOD as a prime contractor. Uh, within CMMC, you, after assessment by a third party the assessment company, the C-3PAO submits the assessment report to the CMMC AB for approval. The approved assessment report serves as proof of compliance, indeed, before contract can be awarded. So you either pass or fail. This is a huge difference within CMMC versus uh, NIST 800. And um, this does impact bidding and contracts. With NIST, you could su- submit a poem and, and have improvements and still participate in contracts with CMMC, but you either (laughs) pass or fail, and you do not uh, get to participate uh, if you are not certified by the time it is awarded. So you could submit for bids uh, before your certification, but once it's awarded, you do need to be certified. All right, so let's get into the, um, we're going to be covering three different areas today, situational awareness, incident response and recovery. Uh, The first is incident response. Um, Here are the five controls. um, Establish an operational incident, detect and report events, analyze and triage events, develop and implement responses to declared incidents, track, document and report incidents. So let's get into um, some of the first questions around that. in situational awareness. When you are testing restores, should you mix it up and try different scenarios? You do the same recovery test each time. I'm going to throw that out to Amira.
1: I think that's a question about uh, recovery. Um, so, uh, which I think we're going to talk about soon, right?
0: Uh, OK, to um, question Yeah, sure. Um, in what ways can a company apply situational awareness?
1: All right. Uh, well, um, that that's about the next domain too. Uh, but uh, you know, situational awareness is about understanding the threat landscape, right? How are bad guys attacking computers? If there's no known threat, uh, you know, from a certain direction, um, you can be a little bit less concerned about something than, say, for example, in DC, there were, there were warning banners saying uh, people are stealing cell phones. If your cell phone is visible, it might get stolen, right? So with situational awareness, that's an example. Everybody is now keeping a very tight eye on their cell phones. Same thing can go for computers in terms of ransomware or a certain type of phishing email.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add that um, uh, that a lot of times our situational uh, awareness can come from lessons learned. We can uh, go through incidents, and as they uh, evolve, we go through those, we compile those lessons learned, we, we take those, um, we create our training aid, uh, we educate our end users, and we develop playbooks. Um, a lot of that stuff. Uh, all works with situational awareness. And, and that's just a couple of things that I wanted to point out, uh, especially when it comes to developing playbooks. Your playbooks um, can be um, broken down and you can, you can create these playbooks uh, per certain or different incidents. And you can, uh, that, that'll help people that are um, working to respond to those incidents. Um, it also gives them something to, to review, to study, um, and also it supports that training and education. Uh, so, so people are situational aware of those different types of t- tactics and techniques that can be, can be used by um, you know, internal or external uh, users and hackers.
0: Thank you. Uh, Eric, and real quick for the panelists, we're actually doing situational awareness first, instant response second, and recovery third. So, um, that appreciate that answer. Um, next question in situational awareness, in what ways can a company apply, or, or no, if, if your backup system can't encrypt the backups to FIPS 142 standard, is there another way to meet the requirement for cryptographic protection of backups without replacing the backup system. Kyle, would you like to take that one?
3: Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think this is uh, encryption uh, specific. So let, let's just uh, talk about encryption first. Um, yeah, so if there are some some things that you are just uh, don't have the uh, you know, FIPS 140-2 compliant equipment or software, then you really have to make sure that you either replace it or find some kind of uh, alternate uh, solutions. Um, I think that's kind of uh, what it should be. But um, just uh, get back to the situational awareness. Some of the uh, I just uh, follow up on the previous question. So sometimes you know you, you really have to kind of uh, focus on what is coming on. You know the threat landscape. Kind of what Amira was talking about. And uh, when you are looking at the threat landscape, there—how how do you actually learn about these uh, landscape, right? Threat landscape is better for you to actually subscribe to some of the uh, some of the alerts. For example, um, there are different alerts or different alerts. For example, like uh, US CERT, uh, they do give out some of the threat alerts. Uh, there's a new vulnerabilities or. For example, there is the exchange uh, or solar winds type of a big attack, right? Supply chain type of attack that will actually tell you, hey, here's something big that's going on. The government they have to shut down all the exchange server or or apply the patch within these two days, right? Within 72 hours, then you know there's something big going on. Then then apply that to the private sector as well. So um, these are just some information that you know will help in terms of a situational awareness. Thank you, Kyle.
4: I, I'd like to add to that, right? So Please, my, you know. my, my idea or my theory of or practice of situational awareness, it slightly uh, goes in different direction, right? So uh, by situational awareness, what are we talking about? Is what is the, what is going on in your infrastructure, in your environment at this point in time? Right. And how do you how do you how do you recognize malicious activities or even malicious activities, whether it's covert or overt that is happening in your organization right now? Right. So it it, it includes things like uh, intelligence, like you know, some of the panelists have mentioned, right? Intelligence, not just from the outside, but also government, government intelligence, industry intelligence, uh, open source intelligence as well as internal intelligence, right? So if you're an oil oil and gas exploration company, uh, there are some key indicators that uh, you may have developed as part of your security program. And so you have to basically comb through the data set that you collect so that you are aware on a, uh, on a near real-time basis about threats that are currently happening right now. It's not just about attackers from Russia or China, you know, coming in you have to, situational awareness to me mean that you have to be aware of threats from us, not just outside, but internal. For example, um, a real estate company, right? Uh, they have a real estate rental company. Uh, a, a, an employee that may have been working for the, them for a long time may have a, a treasure trove of, uh, of customer, right? That uh, the, uh, the, the company has, right? So if this, if this employee is leaving the organization, how susceptible, and they are trying to take the data outside the organization, are you aware? Are you situationally aware? So it's not just about hackers, it's not just about malware, it's not just, I mean, it's about those operations, those data exfiltration vectors that may uh, cause harm to the organization. So that is my idea and vision, and based on my experience, uh, that's what I've seen uh, in the field.
0: Appreciate that, you know, so not only do you need to watch internally, but watch for external events and, and trends happening. Um, the next question I have comes out of Slido around this. It said, what sort of proof would an assessor want to see for situational awareness activities? So if you're tracking things, you know, through threat intelligence or or maybe you're, you're tracking it through boards or, or different companies that, that are giving you indicators of of trends happening within the industry, maybe there's a, uh, a particular ransomware that's being targeted towards the oil and gas or towards the banking. What kind of proof do you need to provide to, to the assessor?
4: Well, I mean, a lot of things, right? Hopefully you're doing things, right? So it would be, are you, are you consuming threat intelligence? That's one of the things, right? What do you have in place to be situational aware? Do you have a SIM device? Do you have an endpoint threat protection platform? Do you have some DLP uh, technology? I mean, what is your security apparatus, right? That allows you to be aware of what is going on in your infrastructure. I'm not just talking about your your on-prem, right? I'm talking about cloud. I'm talking about your partners network, right? So the last thing you want is uh, your uh, your uh, provide your service provider basically suffering from uh, a data exfiltration that affects you, which may require you to notify your, your customers uh, or your partners as the case may be. So, uh, so so it's it's a uh, it's not it's not sufficient to say oh yeah we have a policy or a process in place. You have to demonstrate that you have subscription uh, and you have to demonstrate how you've actually dealt with, um, how you've actually, uh, how you give visibility, right, into the threat activities, right, whether malicious or otherwise that are plaguing your organization.
0: Thank you, Eno. Before we jump into uh, incident, recu- uh, incident response, is there any other inputs that our panelists would like to say?
1: Yeah, um, so, when I first started getting into cybersecurity and looking at all these controls, um, you know, for example, the audit cybersecurity domain, uh, one of the things I did way back at the beginning was I read that would say, um, you know, generate audit logs. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing that, and that would say something about about audit logs. And I go, well, that sounds like audit logs. So yeah, I'm doing that, and that would say something else, and I'm like, yeah why is it asking the same question over and over again? Why is it telling me to do the same thing for each control? And it's only when you really look at them that you realize that the way that CMMC is broken out, as well as the 8171 source, as well as you know 853, right? Which is another standard for controls. The way they do it is they take apart each piece of the process, right? not only do you have to review audit logs, but they, they wanna make sure you create audit logs, right? And that those audit logs have information that's necessary. Um, so situational awareness, there's only one practice in CMMC for situational awareness. It says receive and respond to cyber threat intelligence for information sharing forms and sources and communicate to stakeholders. Uh, so for that one, we're, we're asking about what sort of proof you want to show that you receive cyber threat intelligence, right? That might be an email. It might be a screenshot of intelligence that you went to and found on a, on a forum uh, and that you responded to it, right? Did you create a change in your organization to close a port because there's a major threat, right? A new threat. Um, there was that, that Prince Buller attack uh, two months ago, I think, right? a lot of organizations shut down printing so their computers couldn't get hacked, right? That's a great example of responding. Stop so now.
0: if you're, you're signed up with InfraGuard and you're receiving um, those, you're on the email list for that and DHS, um, those would be good, good uh, proofs that you're, you're receiving on a regular basis threat intelligence.
1: Right, but you also have to show that you're responding too.
0: Great points, thanks, Amir. All right. Well, let's jump into the next. Um...
4: Before we do that, Dave, yeah. um, go you ahead. Asked, you asked a very good question relating to FIPS 140-140-2 uh, crypt- uh, cryptographic uh, method of backing up. Right. So uh, the question was, if I remember correctly, is how do you what do you do when you don't have the the backup system that supports that? Right. Uh, if I understand it correctly, and, and if that's the case, uh, my, the alternate alternate alternative that I would propose would be to maybe subscribe to a service that does maybe a cloud service provider that has all the meets all the requirement of CMMC, right, or uh, maybe uh, uh, C, uh, maybe uh, a FedRAMP FedRAMP to uh, maybe uh, a moderate uh, categorization. That may do it, right? So if you don't have the equipment, and frankly, nobody backs up to tape anymore, right? Uh, so uh, I would I would propose that uh, backing up to a a uh, a cloud based uh, solution that provides uh, those uh, or that meets those uh, uh, cryptographic uh, module requirement would, would satisfy that uh, control.
0: Thanks, Eno. Appreciate that. All right. We're gonna jump into incident response now. Uh, here are the five controls around incident response, which I read earlier, which uh, should have been situational awareness, uh, but no worries. All right, um, let's get into the first question. And I'll leave that up for a second for um, everybody in the room to look at those five areas of control around incident response. Uh, first question is, why do we need a, a, a cyber incident response plan? I think start
5: there. Uh,
2: for, for responding to incidents quickly, um, you know, it, it's key that when an incident happens that you have people that are trained, equipped and ready to react. Um, you, you don't want to find out about an incident three days later and, and then, you know, uh, start investigating it. Uh, you want to be able to respond uh, quickly and efficiently. Uh, and you also want to have a, a pre-prepared, consistent Uh, response for handling uh, these type of incidents and that comes down to just, you know, making sure individuals are educated and trained uh, and and also, uh, you know, having like those playbooks um, and then having a a set of these uh, incident response reports on hand, um, you know, to properly um, identify uh, what's going on with the incident is and then who to report it to uh, and follow those correct procedures um, to find out if it's an actual incident, uh, if it's a false positive, uh, and then to act on it uh, in an efficient uh, manner, and then to uh, report it to those individuals internally, externally, um, to provide the information on what type of incident it is.
3: Yeah, and and I think. I have been in a situation where I have to address the incident, right? So we were there in, uh, in, in the office for three days and three nights, right? So it's a really stressful environment, right, when you are actually in that situation. Um, so it's better for you to have a plan so you know exactly if to uh, kind of like follow up with what-, what Eric was saying. You have to understand: Is this a security event? This is just something, uh, just a security event, or is it, if this is actually an incident, or this is actually involved in a data breach, right? So you have to kind of uh, declare. Once you declare it as an incident, then you follow the incident response plan, the procedure, right? So and also, uh, you probably need to understand like uh, what is the chain of command here, right? And uh, what do you actually follow? Who actually go to get to talk to the media? Because uh, if you're a big enough company, I think they're going to follow up with you. It's like, what's going on? So you better have somebody to talk to the media and uh, somebody to address inside, um, to, to identify like what do you actually have to do? Do you actually talk to the law enforcement authorities? right? And uh, do you actually know that when you actually talk to the FBI, once you actually talk to FBI, everything is out of the door, right? It becomes a federal case, there's no turning back, right? You cannot just say, just kidding. I, um, we are going to, uh, are going to uh, cancel that request. No, it doesn't work that way. So it's better for you to have that plan in place, right? And uh, have that understanding what to do. Um, yeah, and also in the DFAR-7012, there is a requirement for you to report within 72 hours of discovery of the incident. Right, so you need to have that type of uh, understanding and put that into your incident response plan as well, right, because we're talking about all the DOD kind of type of uh, incident now. Thanks, Kyle. Go
4: ahead, Ian. I think those are are very great points, uh, Kyle and and Eric, that that, that you brought up. Uh, 25 years ago, I started my career as a security professional. I was called to go to the, the crime scene it was involving a compromised Unix machine in Silver Spring, Maryland, right? I was new to the field um, and uh, they said, hey, you know, and uh, my colleague, a customer has been hacked. You need to go there and, and help them, right? So we went in, we, we you know, basically drove down and, and basically we're interacting with the threat actor. They weren't interested in trying to, uh, you know trying to start money or have you pay ransom. It was, that wasn't the case. It was more, hey, dude, look what I did. I was able to own this system. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that was a thrill then, then, right? They didn't have an incident response plan. Fast forward a quarter, of a, a quarter of a century later to today, I do incident response for a living. I do breach investigations for a living. I mean, I will tell you right now, a lot of organizations, they have no incident response plan, small or large. So um, the instant response plan, like Eric mentioned and like Kyle mentioned, and I'm sure Amira will, uh, will, will, uh, will, will agree, uh, you, if a plan doesn't exist, then you, you're totally flying blind, right? If a plan doesn't exist, then you want to contact maybe your local police or your, the city sheriff or police, or FBI and give me a break. FBI doesn't want to hear about your system being compromised unless it's of national, uh, national, uh, national security interest. They can care less. Everybody's calling them, right? So do your homework and uh, develop an instant response capability for your organization. And oh, by the way, this is not something you just go on the uh, internet and just say, oh, this is the, is the response template. I have to adopt this. And then just maybe, maybe, uh, maybe do a, a, a test replacement and make it your own, right? It has to be tailored towards your organization. It has to be tested. It has to be rehearsed. It has to be socialized. And you have to have those chain of command. Who do I contact, like Kyle mentioned, when there is an incident, right? What internal group do I have to engage, right? So it is really, it's not just a document that you create and, and just call it a day. It is real. I see in my, investi- in my, in my daily investigations, uh, people, that com- organizations that are getting compromised, right? And the first thing they do is they restore backup from tape. But guess what? You have not done a thorough, uh, a thorough analysis on on how the adversary infiltrated into your system, and and moreover, you spoil the evidence because once you call me in, you basically tamper with the evidence, right? So an incident response plan basically allow you to to define what you, what incidents are and how you are going to handle the incident and communicate with stakeholders, internal stakeholders, as well as external stakeholders. That is my take.
0: Thank you. You know, all right. Uh, next question. This is a good one. Um, does CMMC require you to have an experienced incident responder available in order to pass the IR requirements, meaning uh, someone with years of experience in security operations, or is it okay to have a plan and to call for help if needed, like have, have a, a MSSP on retainer um, to, to drop in if those type of situations happen? Who wants to take that? Amira?
1: I want to hear from Kyle on this one. Awesome.
0: Think? All right. Yeah, I,
3: I think it's... a. Uh... I, I to, to for my own experience and uh, client's experience there, It's better to actually have somebody that is experienced to be ready to handle the situation. And uh, to, to me, it's better to have somebody in-house or somebody actually on retainer. Because uh, if, you, if you are a smaller enough company, right, uh, small, medium-sized company, if you have an incident, most likely, if it's a big enough incident, everybody in the world will have this incident and you will not be able to find another co- company to help you, right? So for example, Exchange, right? Uh, exchange for just a, just a uh, Microsoft Exchange, right? Back in like, uh, like three, four, five months ago. When that happens, you know, everybody actually have an SLA for f- like four hours with uh, Microsoft. Right. they have to wait for a week, have not actually heard anything back from Microsoft. So they are calling out to different companies to like, hey, can you help us? Because we have the, this incident and we know we are getting hacked. Or someone is like, we don't know if we are getting hacked, but it's weird. Um, you know, we have this uh, weird behavior. But, you know, in that situation, it's really better to have somebody to be ready to help you. Um, yeah, whether it's uh, in-house or have a re- in the retainer. Um, Yeah, that's my take on that.
0: (laughs) No, I I agree, Kyle. And, you know, when those kind of situations happen, um, you know, time is of the essence, especially not just with gathering uh, forensic data, but also for the company. You know, how many days can the company not operate that's going to critically affect them from a revenue standpoint, or if they're small enough, go out of business? I mean, some, you know, in today's environment, after we've gone through, Uh, what we did last year a lot of companies are running extremely lean they're trying to catch up from from the losses um, lack of business that they went through and um, can they go a week without revenue being brought in because their entire systems are down or not so uh, having somebody on staff that can address it right away um, is is not just about that person's salary it could be you know $5 $5 million of revenue that it's costing you for being short sighted versus long sighted.
1: All right, a little bit of nuance to that. Um, well, I don't read anything in CMMC that says you're going to fail if you don't have a dedicated incident response person, um, you know, already onboarded. Uh you do need to be able to perform each of the things it does say, you know, which is have a really good plan for how you're going to respond, uh, test it, right, be able to notify people, um, be able to determine root cause. And uh, one of the ways you can tell if you have the required experience, um, because honestly, I, you know, I've been doing cybersecurity and system admin for years. I would put myself up with a dedicated incident response person. That's a very specialized role. Um, but if you do drills with various scenarios, you know, of your company got ransomware, what do you do next, or your email server is compromised, what do you do next? Um, that actually is a way for you to tell whether you have gaps, right, whether your escalation uh, uh, people, your contacts are good enough, or if you need to go out and get somebody on retainer or bring them in to actually know your system.
4: Thanks. I think I think retainer it's it's, it's essential. Um, I not to self promote myself, but uh, uh, I work with different organizations just for that purpose. It is very expensive uh, when there is a breach. I mean, really expensive. I'm talking. Be ready to pay at least three hundred and fifty dollars per hour to uh, a forensics or incident response expert if you can find one uh, timely. Um, and having said that, it's not just one, you may need more depending on how big your organization is or how, 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 uh, how large the, uh, the, uh, the, the incident is, right? So it is always good to have that relationship, you know, in business, they tell us, have a relationship with your bank so that when you, when you need money, they can give it to you, right? So when you have that relationship with outside companies, um, they would be, you will be priority number one, right? Because you're a customer that will come service you when your plumbing and infrastructure go down. So it's always good to have a retainer um, to, to, uh, to provide that support as maybe needed.
0: Thanks, Eno. Uh, next question here What are some key things to consider when creating an incident response plan? I think indicators here are like around identify, isolate, eradicate. So if anybody would like to expand on that.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we talk about those key things to consider, just like you said, David, um, we have to identify if we have a a problem, whether, you know, internal, external, uh, what that threat might be, if it is legit. Um, And then, of course, we need to isolate it. You know, like I said, speed and efficiency is key here uh, to identify and isolate any kind of problems and issues. Um, And definitely, once you do that, Uh, to eradicate it. Um, Also, when we talk about communication, um, that's one of the biggest things, you know, you want to be successful. And I believe 99% of being successful uh, is communicating, you're communicating with your team. uh, Internally, you're communicating with other entities, uh, which which we've, uh, we've talked about, um, which could be uh, outside entities, if you have a uh, if you're dealing with law enforcement, because it's a, a very severe issue, uh, or other agencies. But that communication is going to be very important, especially um, with documentation as well. If, if you have a you know, chain of custody, and you're dealing with things um, like that, that's just a few things I wanted to uh, talk about.
0: Appreciate it, Eric. Yeah, it was several years ago, they had the Department of Homeland Security annual conference in Phoenix. And one of the breakout rooms I attended that um, I sat next to and I think and anybody can correct me a couple of years ago, there was a, a big ransomware I think it was the city of Baltimore. One of those back there. And I sat next to the, the director that was uh, responsible for everything. And uh, that was uh, an enlightening experience. But when that happened, you know, understanding uh, chains of communication. Not only did all their computers went down because their phone systems were VoIP and all tied in, all their phone systems went down. So they were running around, going crazy, um, printing up papers, telling everybody and in- entering buildings, do not turn on your computers, do not connect um, uh, and just taping them on. And, and it, was, uh, it was an interesting uh, exercise for them. They learned a lot. They learned a lot from that, that experience. Yeah.
3: Just uh, add that uh, communication. Uh, what you're you, you, know, you really have to take into consideration that you know when you are, especially we're all using the voice over IP now. If your internet is gone, then there is no phone, right? There is no phone access. So it's better for you to plan the external, uh, out of band communication, a way of for you to communicate in that case you know in the case of a uh, incident. Um, you know, compromise because you will be able. You know, make sure that you will be able to communicate securely in the case of a compromise.
0: Great. Um, says here, if you do don't have any non-vendor supported products, can this practice be not
4: applicable? What practice?
1: I think I think that's a question about a different um, cybersecurity domain.
0: Okay. Um, All right, Um, here's another question. How do you write a procedure for security assessment items like creating a system security plan? Kyle, you want to take that one?
3: Uh, How do you actually create a system security plan? It
0: says, how do you write a procedure, let's see, how do you write a procedure for security assessment items like creating a system security plan?
3: Uh, Okay, so uh, for security assessment, um, creating the security assessment. Okay, I'll take a step on this. (laughs) Um, I think it's probably just uh, creating, um, depends on the risk type of Uh, I think it's all based on the risk, right? Do a risk assessment, understanding what type of uh, system you have in scope. Well, first of all, identify what system you have in scope, what kind of a risk you might have, you know, depends on the, I was just use a simple confidentiality, uh, do the system impact analysis, right, for the different systems that you have in place and what is the risk? What are the threats, potential threats? then based on those, then you can kind of uh, put together kind of like a assessment, security risk assessment for each of the system. So I know this is actually a very high level type of uh, answer, but um, I I think you can really go down to the detail uh, based on the type of threats for each of the system, system, applications, devices that you have that are supporting your infrastructure for the CUI. So that's a high level answer.
0: Thank you, Kyle. And
3: then um,
0: I think the last question we'll, we'll cover in this area before we get into recovery. Um, can you provide an explanation of the requirement review and update logged events? I don't know if that, I guess that ties into incident response and, and understanding, but not really. That's more of a general question. But well, let's take it and answer that since I threw it out there. Uh, so the,
4: the question is uh, can you can you uh, can you repeat the question again
0: can you provide an explanation of the requirement review and update logged events
4: oh yeah so uh, for example uh, uh, let's say that um, you are when you the, uh, you have an application that you've developed right and um, you uh, you are collecting the boss log right you're collecting you know lots of what you deem to be critical elements, right, of the application or the system, and let's say there is some kind of modification to the system, uh, let's say new version, right, with new 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 data set or data elements, right. You want to be able to modify your auditing capi- uh, 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 capability to be able to capture those events that all of a sudden the system is is uh, is not capturing. For example. Let's say, the, uh, uh, let's say the system now stores uh, the user that, is, that has logged onto the application, right? Uh, and maybe their yeah, date of birth as the case may be, right? So you may want to include um, things like uh, uh, who is accessing that information, right? As a new data element as part of your audit law, right? So that is my understanding. Uh, that's my understanding of the question uh, is to basically adopt your uh, your your log your logging capability to include those things that may be of interest to detect
2: intrusion or future investigation. And one thing I would like to add, David, is when when we talk about each of um, the different things we consider, you know, identify, isolate, eradicate, and communicate. You know, each one of those stages it's it's critical uh, that when you're investigating an incident. That you're pulling those logs, that you're reviewing those logs, um, those are going to be used uh, in, in the review process as well, and in the learn process when you're educating end users. Uh, any kind of logs in those endpoint devices, firewalls, uh, anything uh, that would be uh, critical in those, you know, that was used in those systems. Uh, that information, you know, um, those logs should be should be provided um, as as, uh, you know, evidence as well as uh, lessons learned. So that way you can use those to prepare, uh, you know, for future incidents and things like that. And also to uh, update patch and and prevent those future incidents. Uh, Just looking at it from from the um, incident response perspective. So
1: I see see a question, from the audience, do I need to monitor event logs and security 24 uh, seven, which is related to incident response. And um, I, I thought that's a pretty cool, cool one to bring up uh, because um, I, I don't believe that CMMC or, or the other frameworks require that you monitor logs 24 seven. You can organizationally define how often you monitor them. Um, and do it. Uh, now I, I would re- recommend from a cybersecurity perspective, um, you know, setting a, a fairly uh, small interval, you know, daily, probably at most weekly, depending on the size of your company, right? If you're a huge company, have a staff that does it 24 um, 7. But I'd also take advantage of technology to have major events. Uh, email you or text message you right that's the that's the advantage of having a, a centralized logging system is it, a lot of them can do that
3: yeah um, just just uh, w- one more on the log so on the DFAR7012 it mentioned about store or keep the uh, keep the log or keep the uh, traffic log for 90 days so it's better for you to Know, have your log keep at least 90 days. I'll usually say maybe just add another month, 120 days, uh, just in case. Because DOD, when they are looking at the evidence, they, in, in the case with a DOD, right? if there is an incident you report to them, they will just say they could actually say, yeah, send me the malware that you actually have captured, send me the disk image, right? and also, by the way, send me the log for the past 90 days. All right. Well, if-
4: so, so this is actually where the incident response and situational awareness intersect, right? To be able to gain good uh, situational awareness of your environment, right? You have to have a centralized login infrastructure, right? Or uh, facility, right? So where you, where you collect, where you ingest logs from the applications, the storage, the, uh, the operating systems, web apps, and so on and so forth. So, when that information is, is centralized, when there is an that incident that needs to be investigated, you are not running everywhere looking for logs, right? You have the logs centralized. And ideally, and I think uh, um, Amira um, uh, 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 touched on it, touched, touched on this. So it depends on your financial bandwidth, right? As a security professional, I would say monitor the log 24 by 7 all the time. But, it's a risk-based decision, right? Is it worth it? Do you have the financial resources to monitor it on a twenty-four by seven basis, or can you can you um, automate, or maybe leverage some machine learning-based uh, threat detection cap- capability to uh, provide you those things of interest, or can, do you do you want to consider outsourcing that service to a different company that can actually monitor it on your behalf? Right. So the fact that you're small doesn't excuse you from uh, saying, oh, I, I don't I don't you know, I don't, I'm a small company. I don't I don't I don't I don't uh, have the time to review. Right. You can actually outsource some of that to a, a company that would give you a small, uh, a reasonably priced uh, uh, budget to, to, to do that. So.
0: Yeah, well, thank you, you know,
5: I wanted to jump in at this point, because. So, so far, I've been listening in and thinking, oh, my God, if I was a small business owner, I'd be thinking, I've got to hire all of these people and they're all really expensive. And, oh, my God, I've got to do this myself. Far from it. Far from it. There are services that you can buy from companies. And this is not a sales pitch. Not just We're not the only MSSP on the block. You can buy these capabilities, including incident response on retainer very reasonably priced and still managed to get all the way through CMMC compliance. So so fear not, you don't have to do everything yourself. There are folks
0: out there that can help. I'm agreed. That's a great point. Thanks, Robert. Too bad there's not a hacker gene in which uh, requires them to only work eight hours a day and we could know those the block of eight hours that they work, right? (laughs) Could save us a lot of time, but all right, well, uh, appreciate all of your inputs on incident response. We're going to now move into our last area, which is recovery, uh, which is pretty important as well. Um, here are the three controls under recovery. Regularly perform and test data backups, protect and confidentiality of backup CUI at storage locations, and regularly perform complete, comprehensive, and resilient data backups as organizationally defined um, so let me go off that last one what is organizationally defined so does CMMC give you the latitude to make up your own um, policy or, or are they more granular around that piece
1: uh, they, they they do give you latitude um, and this is this is industry best practice there's these concepts um, recovery time objective, recovery point objective. And uh, recovery time is how long your business can be down, right? How many hours can you afford to have everyone stopped? And then recovery point is how much data can you lose, right? Can you lose a week's worth of data? Can you lose five minutes worth of data? Depends on the business, right? A um, uh, you know, small businesses uh, that don't have a whole lot of information system use, they might it might not really affect them if they lose a full day worth of data. But a, a, a credit card company, if they lose five minutes, like the world ends. Um, so those metrics are actually called out in the CMMC assessment guide, and those are generally defined by top level executives who would understand the the comprehensive um, picture of what would what would adversely affect the business, you know, at a at a core level, right? Does the business actually go bankrupt because of this? Um, they they should be involved in this point.
2: Right. Thanks, Amir. Uh, go ahead, Eric. And when you're talking about backups, um, you know, you got to think about not just you know the backup at that time uh, incremental backups or, you know, weekly backups. You need to think back about other controls that you're doing, like change configuration, change management, because if for six months, um, you know, you haven't tested or checked your backups and let's say, you know, a user accidentally deletes a lot of stuff and you have to go back and, you know, uh, fix that and come to find out six months ago, there was a a change but no one properly you know, did a risk assessment. Uh, no one properly did the change management and followed those control procedures. So your backup stopped six months ago. So that's one thing I just wanna point out is you need to uh, test your backups. You need to have a post uh, check, you know, as well as that pre-check to make sure they are functioning and uh, backups uh, are being conducted.
0: Appreciate that. You know, in that second control one says, protect the confidentiality of backup COI storage at storage locations. Is that referring to everybody has to be in GCC high? Can somebody kind of elaborate what that really means from, from a requirement
3: Yeah, I oh, would oh, say you, know, you, you want to actually get a, you know, could be a service or it could be in the cloud or it could be um, just uh, anywhere that could be, on, uh, could be on the cloud or it could be offsite. But uh, if you are going with a service provider, you probably want to make sure whatever that service provider is certified, FedRAM high or FedRAM moderate, right? I think at least for CUI I have to be FedRAM moderate. So you know, make sure that the, whatever the service that you are using um, actually have that. And also make sure that you know, if you are storing the data, right, they also need to make sure they're you know, getting back to the FIPS 140-2, right? Make sure they have the encryption in place. Um, make sure that whatever you are storing actually are a uh, certified you know, solution.
4: So, so, so backup is really, really critical, right? I was involved in an investigation recently in McLean, Virginia, where the uh, the organization uh, was hit with ransomware. Uh, they were doing backup, small you know small small organization. They were doing backup religiously, right? Uh, but when they got compromised, they were doing backup. The backup was actually stored in the same the same building, the same office, right? So my recommendation is, if you're doing backup, right? backup to different medium store them securely keep them far away right we don't typically get earthquake in uh, in northern in virginia or in dc area but uh, you know distribute those those backup um, uh, medium uh in, in put them in different locations so that you don't suffer the same fate more importantly you have to test your backup all the time it is not sufficient to back up all the time and you don't actually test it. And then when there's an incident, you say, oh, wait a minute now, let's get it back. We did backup last week, and oh, the, uh, we can't restore the data. So it's really critical to do backup, to test the backup medium, and to actually test the recovery process to make sure things work. And, and, and I hate to sound, sound, sound like this. I know my director is going to kill me when I, uh, when I say this, but uh, he's an advocate. Um, you want to leverage really cloud especially if you're a small business right you want to really leverage cloud right infrastructures to to do your backups so you don't have to worry about you know the media got uh, you know lost or stolen or, or otherwise right so
0: you know going off of that you know why don't some of the panelists talk about what are what are some of the solutions for recovery efforts I can't just go get any cloud service and that 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 has storage and just start throwing the stuff up there, right? They they have to meet certain requirements. Um, can we talk about some of the options that are out there today?
2: Well, Microsoft Office um, and Azure, uh, you know, they're you know they're approved uh, for you know GCC, GCC High, and, and uh, DOD. Um, so so those are so so you know that's a solution. Uh, for recovery effort using uh, cloud.
4: Yeah, you can always go to FedRAMP.gov. They have companies that have gone through that have ATO, whether in the high, moderate, or low capacity, and you may be able to subscribe to the the vendors that have been vetted that offers cloud storage storage solutions.
1: Coming back to that requirement for protecting the confidentiality. Um, it's almost a trick question because everyone thinks, "Okay, well, I need to encrypt it," but it means uh, more than that. You know, it means that. So, uh, picture this: the organization has put in all of these security controls, right? They've got super strong firewalls, and none of the users can install their own software. And you know, uh, hordes of people watching audit logs, and they take their central system that has all of the secure data and they back it up and they put it onto an external hard drive and then they put it in their lobby, right? Like that's, that's what, what the concern is. Um, so how do you, you know, make sure that, that backup data isn't like a weak spot? Uh, and yeah, putting it onto a, a cloud that's authorized for CUI, FedRAMP, uh, is one way. Um, you can outsource it to, like Iron Mountain is a very popular service. They will take your backups, and they will guard them uh, until they go to a secure location, right? And that's one way of doing it as well.
0: Yeah. So, speaking um, of that, this, this whole requirement—we're only talking CUI data, right? That this doesn't apply to any other data within the company, but only CUI. Is—is is that correct? Uh,
2: it, it it applies to um, your CUI data, uh, intellectual property uh, data, and uh, other other data um, uh, sources. But of course, that could uh, you know any kind of data that could render your company uh, non-operational. You know, those are uh, in, any kind of data that if it was attacked by you know an insider threat or external, um, you know, it could take the company offline, cause damage, or any kind of failure within the systems. So, um, you know, it, yeah, we got to protect CUI, but you also have, you know, FCI and you have that company proprietary information uh, that you have to protect as well. So it should be taken, taken into consideration.
3: Yeah. By back to the risk assessment, right? Um, the data that company deemed important to them to operate their business, I think those are the type of data should be taken into consideration. Yeah.
0: Great. Appreciate that. Um, Yeah, just
3: just another note here is that because we're talking about the ransomware, a lot of, uh, I would say, decent uh, number of people, they probably will do a backup because, um, hey, I have uh, this uh, cloud, uh, OneDrive or whatever drive, right? They are actually attached to their their laptop or to their server and they actually do a backup to these drives. But just remember that ransomware nowadays, they will look for the drive and uh, wipe out the drive or encrypt the drive, right? So if you actually have something that's only attached to your to your Windows Explorer, right? Just another drive that you actually back up. Yeah, just to know that it's probably better to have it uh, like what you was saying, something that's offline. Once you back up, take it offline. So if, they are, if your system actually get compromised, it's not impacting your backup.
0: Thanks, Kyle. Well, we're getting close to the top of the hour. We got three minutes left. Um, any last uh, points from any of the panelists today?
3: I'll say uh, situational awareness, incident response, and recovery, they're all very tightly well, working together. So uh, just uh, make sure that you address all three at once. Yeah, so then you will be your golden.
4: And, and uh, the last, the la- my last point is uh, that to gain institutional awareness, it's not just sufficient to have an antivirus, right, and say, oh, yeah, I'm done, right, from a security standpoint. The entire security stack has to be in place, right? You have to have your firewall, right? You have to have log logging going on. You have to have a centralized logging infrastructure. You have to have an endpoint threat protection platform, right. And so you have all of these things have to be working together like a well oiled machine. That is how you're going to get situational awareness. That's how you're going to secure your asset. That's how you're going to answer the question when your CEO asks, how secure are we? You can't just say, well, we haven't received uh, ransomware yet, right. So you have to be really vigilant, right. Beyond CUI, beyond CMMC, your corporate intellectual property, right. You have to be they have to be protected. Otherwise, businesses do go out of business or companies do go out, go out, go out of business. So, uh, you know, thank you guys for the opportunity and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you on the net.
0: Yeah,
3: Great. Um, thank you, Lena. Just, just uh, I, I thought of like a, the security awareness, right? So just a recommendation, there's a, what I call, there's a podcast, Cybersecurity Headlines. That is something that I actually listen to it every day. So it's only five minutes, and you actually get the latest information about what's going on. So that is actually uh, pretty good for me, and uh, highly recommended. Thanks, Kyle,
0: and to everyone out there. You know, keep in mind that you know cybersecurity is something that's with us for the rest of our lives. And this is not just about protecting our country, which is important. Uh, our military applications and, and contracts. But it's protecting yourselves. Um, you know the things that you initiate by implementing CMMC will go a long way to to protecting your company, not just being compliant to win a bid or a contract. So these are the core principles that we need to protect our network. That that's what the standards are for. And um, you know it's a journey, and it, it's something that you have to um, do daily. Um, just like if you have a baby, uh, you know you can't stop taking care of the baby and you can't stop taking care of cybersecurity uh, within your network. So, Robert, any last comments?
5: Just a huge thank you to our, to our panelists as always. That was uh, very interesting. And and to folks that uh, that joined in for, for the questions that we received. I think if, um, if your question wasn't answered, we'll get back to you. Um, but other than that, just uh, you're right, it, it is a maturity thing. It is a cultural thing. Um, once folks get in, into the mindset of a security type of culture, then all of a sudden this, you, you recognize that all of these things are interrelated and interconnected and then start yourself on that journey. And then all of a sudden, uh, the world's a more secure and less risky place. So, so that's it. We are at the top of the hour. Thanks all once again. Um, we will have a the final one of these in two weeks time. Uh, So look out for that, and uh, we'll see you then. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.